Hey everybody, thank you for listening this week as we dive into a series that we're calling The Wilderness, A Journey to Obedience, where our prayer is that you would learn God's plan for your obedience and that this will result in a transformed life that would call people to Jesus. Are you ready? Let's lean in. Good morning, IDE family and friends. Um, just want to say I'm excited to be here today. Uh, as you can see, we're doing a live stream service. Unfortunately, we weren't able to have in-person worship today, but um, I want you to know that there's going to be some beautiful things that happen today in today's message, and I'm just thankful that we have this um, streaming live service. So when we aren't able to meet here in person, we're able to still hear the Word of God on Sunday morning and come together and worship through a digitized uh, environment. And so I'm super excited for this. It's going to be a great day. I uh, hope that you enjoy this and that God just shares something new with you today. Uh, but don't forget, we will be back next week, okay? And so just continue to follow the page uh, uh, on Facebook or our Instagram to uh, keep up with the updates. And you can check the updates on the app, you know, use those resources um, with for the events that we have coming up. And so we're just super excited. Easter's right around the corner. Um, we got some big things that we're planning for that, and we'll get that out to you all very soon and shortly. So, but uh, as you remember, last week, uh, Pastor Ricky um, went ahead and talked about the, the vision of the year for our church, and it was so beautiful. It derives from Numbers 1330. It's a short little spiel, um, but it really, over the entirety of it, the, the vision for the church for the year is to be obedient in the wilderness. And so as he talked about that, he talked about the scripture that he used when God provided it for, uh, for this vision, and there was a land, and God commanded them to go and take the land. He was going to give them the land, and they sent out spies. They found that the land was filled with milk and honey. It had uh, beautiful grapes. They brought back a, a, a vine of grapes, and it showed how fruitful the land was. But they allowed fear to take place. They allowed their spies came and said that we can't do this. We cannot fulfill this. We cannot overtake, for they are way, way stronger and bigger than us. They said that there was too many obstacles in the way to uh, conquer and fulfill the mission that God has called them to do. But Caleb says, no. We can do this, and we are going to do this, and we will take this land. And so I'm super excited about that for this year and what that looks like. And some of you know that um, we're moving forward and doing evangelism journals. And so I hope you guys got a good hot start to that this week. I know that we're not here today, but this past week you were encouraged to go and share the gospel with five different people. It could have been at your workplace. It could have been when you were getting coffee or dinner. Anything that you... Any, any person that you run into, just sharing the gospel with five people, listening to them, hearing about their stories, getting their names, and understanding who they are as a person so that we can pray over those names. And so I'm really pumped up about that, and I hope that this message today encourages you to continue to do that because as, as our vision for the year is to be obedient in the wilderness and, and all, it's going to allow us to be able to love God and love others. That's our, our complete mission and vision in, in our church here at ID. And so I'm super excited. It's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be an amazing year. I think God's going to do a lot of good things through obedience to what he's calling us to. And so, but uh, as uh, this message is here today, I just want you to be relaxed, um, to just be able to enjoy it, um, to, to feel uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I uh, just want to go ahead and um, pray for us real quick before we go ahead and dive in, okay? So let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for uh, us being able to have the ability to to stream 
uh, a service, Lord God, not, not for me and not because of who I am and, who, and me speaking, Lord God, but because your word can still be spread through online where we're at home, where we be across the world. Lord God, your Holy Spirit is not confined to the building. Lord, you are omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, Lord. You're everywhere, and you're amongst us, and you can do all things, Lord God. And so, Father, I pray that your Spirit speaks and opens the hearts today to hear this message, Lord, that you've put together, Lord. It is not me. I am not good enough to be up here to speak this, Lord God, but it is your Spirit that can fill the words, Lord God. And I pray that your Spirit fills this room, fills my heart, fills my mind, so that they can hear the message that you have brought forth from the Word today, Lord God. God, I pray this, and I just ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And so, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story today. Um, one of the stories is told in a parable form. And a parable is an earthly story that Jesus told a lot of. Jesus told a lot of parables, gave a lot of parables during his ministry, and a parable is just an earthly story that gives a bigger, deeper spiritual meaning. And so, as I was going through this and what encouraged this this, uh, message today, this sermon, is we were reading a book called Prodigal God, and it's by Timothy Keller, who uh, was a pastor, and he um, planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church in 1989 in Manhattan, New York, and pastored it for almost three decades. Uh, he's a very renowned pastor. He's very, um, he's very gifted. It just—it's amazing to hear the words that God's given him, and he's done many great things in his ministry. He has uh, many other books. One of them's uh, the Reason for God, and it's a great book. But uh, if you haven't read the Prodigal God, I—I I really encourage you to take a chance and just read it and and have maybe a new uh, understanding of what it looks like to look at the story today. Um, I believe God does things for a reason, and his word ultimately gives us the main truth for everything, but he uses other things, other resources to show us that he's talking to us. And so uh, through this sermon today, you'll, you'll hear a lot of influence and encouragement from that book um, by Tim Keller, The Prodigal God. And so we're going to be looking at Luke 15 today. And as we're looking through this story in Luke 15 um, one of the things, the, the main thing I want for us to have on our minds is God is a loving Father who can be trusted. God is a loving Father who can be trusted. Now, that, that word Father can honestly mean a negative thing for some of us. Um, I know for me, uh, my biological father, um, it, it brings up some sore memories, it brings up some suffering and pain, and so... For us, for those who have been affected by that, who have had a negative experience with the Word or the, with their Father, um, you know, that's something that I can resonate with you on. It's something that I can say I understand. And, and so I just want you to be ready to hear what uh, is going to be spoken today. And maybe it's not even a father. Maybe it's a best friend, a childhood friend, or a past girlfriend, or past boyfriend, or uh, husband or wife that, that are now not together anymore, anything, any person that may have made you feel like you can't look at as God is a loving father who can be trusted. And so we're going to hear a parable today, and it's going to be a beautiful parable. And so I just want you guys to open up to Luke 15 real quick. I'll give you guys some time to get there. And so in this chapter 15 of Luke, there's three parables, okay? There's three parables. And we're going to be looking at the third one, but in the beginning, Jesus is telling these parables to to two different audiences, two different groups of people that are with him. The first group being tax collectors and and sinners or the disobedient, and the others being the Pharisees. And so 
here we have Luke showing us the historical evidence of there's two different groups of people that Jesus is sharing the story with. And so we're going to take a look at that. And so I wanted to let you guys know that we're looking at the third parable because we're going to open up in 15, 1 through 2, and then I'm going to jump all the way to verse 11. So I don't want you guys to have that confusion there. And so we're going to look at Luke 15, 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. And so here we see we have one group being the tax collectors and sinners, the disobedience, the low of the low, as they considered back in that time and in our culture. And then we hear we have the Pharisees and scribes. Now, Pharisees were the ones who held themselves at a high, high level. They were of a very uh, high religious script. They um, held very, very tight to the law and commandments of God. Um, they followed him as much and f- as far as they can believe deeply. And so imagine a mother with her baby never letting go. This is the Pharisees holding on to God's law and commandment as, as tight as they can, never letting go of that thing. And so it's showing the tension already building up. We see that there's a grumbling from them, and they're looking at Jesus saying, yeah, this man receives people who are lowly, they're sinners, they're disobedient, and he eats with them. Now, why did they highlight he eats with them? Well, in this culture... When you sit down and you eat with somebody, it's a showing of respect, of respect, but also an acceptance of them. You see, Jesus was sitting with them and eating with them and partaking in a meal with him to show that he was accepting of who they were. And so this story is going to unravel a lot of good things. It's going to be a lot of uh, big things, I believe. And so in this, we're going to see here in Luke 15 uh, a story about, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, most of us have heard that story, and we've looked at it, and we've focused so much on the younger son, and we've, we've seen how the older son was, but did we really go deeper into looking at that older son? These two are two brothers. So you have a younger brother and an older brother who, who have these same issues, the same battles, the struggles, and they go about it in two different ways. And so as we look here, and I read through already the first verse, two verses of Luke 15, we jump all the way to verse 11. And as we look at this continuously, remember uh, to, to see that God is a loving Father who can be trusted. I, I know, like I said earlier with the Father word, it could be hard. But this is what it says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Highlight that. There was two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now I'm going to pause there real quick. We see this and it highlights there's two sons, so it's showing us, it's introducing us, Jesus is introducing that there's two sons, and he highlights the younger first. And so when he's highlighting the younger first, he says that, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Now, to go before your father and ask for the inheritance, to ask for something of that statue, that is the, uh, the highest, most disrespect um, in that time and culture. Think about it this way. I, I can imagine if I went to my stepfather and said, hey, give me this lot. Give me a part of the inheritance that you're going to leave me when you pass away. I want that now. I want to take it. I want to have it. You know what he'd look and say at me? You are crazy, man. What have you been on? What are you doing? Where did you even come with that idea? And so we see that this should have been a part where there should have been a rejection. There should have been a, a, a saying of no. But it's crazy because this is what happens next. 
as he's asking his father for this, it's, it's like he's looking at his father in the eyes and saying, I wish you dead so I can have what I want in your possessions. I don't want you, I want your possessions. And so this is what, this is what was said next. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields and to feed, to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So if we look at the verses 13 through 14, it says not many days later that he went and took all that he had. He gathered all of the possessions. So an inheritance at the time would be land, livestock, crop, anything that would bring value to them for selling and trading and, and, and barter. And so he takes all that he's been given. His father gives him his share, right? And so with him splitting that up, he's splitting it up into threes. So he has his piece. He, the father remains to keep his, but he also has his other older son that he has stored away too. And so he gives this young son his share of the, the inheritance, the property, the livestock, whatever it may be that they have in the, at this time in this culture to take it and squander it, meaning he sold it for a large amount of cash. So imagine taking everything that you had, all your possessions, and you sell it away to obtain a large sum of money. And so when he did this, it says that he took this cash and he had spent everything. And a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he took what he had from the father. He, he didn't want the father himself. He wanted the father's possessions. And in wanting the father's possessions, he was trusting what the father could give him so that he can get what he wanted from the world. So he was trusting what the world could give him entirely rather than just trusting what the father is and who the father is. And so in doing so, it caused him a great deed of distress once he did that. He lost everything. He spent everything. A severe famine arose. And imagine that if when a famine comes, it, it really wipes out the livestock and the crop. It, it puts a lot of people in need. And um, it says that he himself had to go and hire himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And so it's saying that he even had to become into a part where he puts himself into working for someone who was outside of his culture, outside of his, his Jewish um, uh, lifestyle. But what was even more interesting is that it was him working in a field to feed pigs. Now, pigs at this time represented a, a very uh, unceremonial, clean animal. They didn't eat pigs at that time. They weren't able to because they couldn't cook the meat to a, a temperature that would allow them to be able to partake in that meal. And so they considered these pigs very unclean. But think about this. Pigs eat from the ground. They eat anything. And so in that, also, it makes them unceremonially clean. So he's here in this pig pen feeding these pigs and even says I was long, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He's left alone. He's been deserted by anyone around him. His worldly friends are gone who he thought he had in his life and who he could trust in the world was no longer there. But it's amazing what happens next. As we continue to read in verses 17 through 19, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so 
this younger son, this younger brother, being in a pit, a dark place internally, realizes what he, what he trusted his, his possessions and his life, everything that he had in and in the world. You know, it highlights it in the beginning. It says he came to himself. He starts to realize the deep status of who he is inside his heart. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? So he starts to realize that back home, it was a much far better place than, than he realized. He comes up with a plan to repair or to mend that relationship with his dad. He's trying to, to bring back a restoration of that relationship. And so he, he's already commending himself to go back and return home. And it's so beautiful what he does. He's, he's showing a resemblance of um, humility, right? If we look in verse 19, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired ser- servants. So he's, he's recognizing the sin in his life. He's recognizing the disobedience, the, the trusting of what the world can give him, not trusting the father and taking the father's possessions and trusting what the father's possessions could give him in this world rather than the father himself. And so he realizes all that he's done and all that he's been through has led him to this point. He's in humility. He's recognizing that. He's, he's expressing that out loud. He's, he's, in essence, praying out loud to God and telling God, basically, this is who I am. I'm not worthy to even be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And it's so important to realize because it's, it's a, a showing of a, a changing of a heart and a mind. And so if we look at verses 20 through 24, it says this, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. There it is again. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Man, the son comes back, the one who didn't trust his father, who trusted the possessions his father had, who trusted the world, comes back and confesses that he is sinned against heaven, sinned against God, betrayed and, uh, and disobeyed God and his own father, showing that humility. But what's beautiful is, is that the father doesn't even let him finish his whole plan to even repair or mend that relationship. His father does this. He told the servants to run quickly inside. But what's beautiful is, is if we really look at it, the father saw him from a long, far away off and he comes sprinting outside running to him means that some somewhere deep inside the father was waiting and watching for the son to return this younger brother of the older brother to return and was hoping and and had a a a longing heart for that and it's starting to happen and so the father sees this and the father looks at his servants and says bring quickly the best robe and put it on him the best robe see when you think about the father and his possessions, the father's going to have the best of the best. See, the sons will have that, have that inheritance when that time comes, but at that moment when the father's still alive, he has the best of the best. 
And so the father's taking his best robe, his best thing that he has, and he's putting it on his son. He's clothing him. He's embracing him. He puts a ring on his finger, showing him love and compassion. He's bringing him back into the home. And it's such a beautiful picture. They get together and they sacrifice a fattened calf for a meal, for communion, to, to celebrate the son who was once dead, who was once far from God and trusting this world and not God himself is now back home, and it doesn't call for anything else but a celebration. How sweet is that? How sweet is that to see that the Father was so open and embracing and in love and compassion. He's showing mercy and grace and forgiveness to his younger son, the younger brother or the older brother. You see, that hits home, I think, with a lot of us, and especially for me, um, because this, this story has a very way of showing us how we can be trusting what the world can give us and trusting um, the things and the pleasures that are temporary. Uh, I, I felt so deeply when the, when the brother, the younger brother, decided to, to call out to God, to call out and, and show that he was in disobedience, that he had sinned against God and that he was long from him and, and that he wasn't worthy to be there. Uh, that, that really hits home with me because the day that I came into a relationship with Christ, I looked at God and said, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my identity is. I don't know what my purpose is, but you, God, are, this is not the life I've been living in bars and drinking and, and getting drunk and wasting my time and pursuing the fleshly desires. It's, it's nothing that can fulfill anything else in my life. Only you, God, can, and I'm so empty and broken inside, and there's nothing else that can fill me, but I need you. I need you to show me who it is that I am. And he answered it three hours later. I realized, I started to come into a realization of what I was doing and where I was at, that I trusted and took the possessions that God had and took it and trusted the world instead of trusting himself. Just like this younger son, this younger brother, who took a piece of that possession, that inheritance before his father passed. And so, that leaves us where, well, where's the older brother at? Where's the older son at? Where does he come into play in this? And so as we move forward in this, it says in verses 25 through 30, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, my younger brother, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? For him? See, we get to the part where this older brother, the older son, is struggling with the same thing the younger brother did. And it's so funny. You see, the younger brother, the younger son, represents the tax collectors and the sinners, the disobedient. The older brother represents the Pharisees, the ones who hold tight onto the the covenantal law and commandments of God. And so... As we're looking through this, in verse 25, when it says the older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, we can already see that he was in the field probably working. 
He was probably serving and doing his duties and holding on firm to what he was doing. He was obeying and serving the Father in a way that he thought was pleasing. It kind of reminds you of the story of Cain and Abel, huh? And so he looks to the servants of his, other, of his father, looks to the other servants, and he asks what these things meant. And they replied to him and showed him that his brother has returned and his, his father decided to kill a fattened calf. Now, a fattened calf was part of that livestock. It was probably one of the best of the best of his livestock, and he sacrificed it to have a meal and to celebrate this beautiful uh, restoration and reconciliation coming home. But we see the nature of the older brother. He's trusting more in his dutiful servitude to his father, his, his years of servitude, um, his, his obedience. And in that, it's resembling his self-centered righteousness. It's blinding him from truly trusting his father and only trusting the father for his possessions. Because think about this, as we said earlier, when, they, when the father split the inheritance, it was going to be split into threes. So a third. Whereas if the father would have passed, it would have been split in half. And so the greed is stored up in his heart. He sees that, he believes that in his heart and his mind that by serving the father and obeying the father and, and holding firm to his servitude and his obedience to him, that he will receive those possessions and that's what he's doing it for. He's not doing it because he loves the father. He's doing it because he loves the father's possessions just as the younger son, the younger brother did. And in turn, it shows him not seeing it as a father he can trust. You see, I think in this story, the younger brother depicts those who are outside of the church, those who are living in fear of coming to know Christ because they want to trust the world with the pleasures and goods of it and what it can do for them. And so they want, they want the good things of this world when really it's bad. And so they don't want God, the Father himself, they want the things that he can give them, whether they acknowledge that he's a God or not. But the Pharisees, Jesus is really showing this message to them and resembling that this is who they are. They've held so much to a moralistic duty that their baby, the thing that they love the most is their obedience and servitude to gain righteousness when they're so caught up in their self-centeredness that they're, they're really just as far from God as the younger brother was. They're just as far from God as these tax collectors and sinners because they've stayed in this, if I do this for God, if I serve God in this way, he will give me these things. And I might be stepping on some toes there because the Pharisees, if we can correlate that, those people to who are now, like I said, the younger brother represents the outsiders, the ones who aren't within the church, who aren't following Christ, who don't have a relationship with him yet. And we represent the Pharisees, the ones who have been in church, the ones who are serving God and, and holding firm to obeying Him in any ways possible. I myself am shamed in that. I can come up with a few examples of being in, in that sin and that disobedience and my own self-centered righteousness. There was a time where we were having a meeting one morning and I was sitting around with these, these other leaders in our church and these other men and as I was hearing them discussing something that we were doing and preparing, I looked at it in my heart and I said, God, why am I not included? Why am I not involved in this? Why I've been here since the beginning. I've been with you for five years. I've been a part of this moving forward and seeing how this church has grown and developed for the last three years. I've been by Ricky's side. Why am I not a part of this? Why do they get to enjoy this and I don't? And bam, 
conviction at its highest. The Holy Spirit looked at me and said, you look to me to gain things from me, but not to have me. You look at my Father God as not a God that you can trust, but as a God that you can gain things from by serving and being obedient, when in reality, you're just as far spiritually as those who look and resemble the younger brother. And so for us in the church, we have to really look at that and ask ourselves a lot of questions, but what's so beautiful is the father's response in this story. What the father says to both the younger and the older brothers, the younger and older sons of him. See, in verses 31 through 32, he goes on to say this, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. Spiritually dead, but is spiritually alive. He was lost and is found. The world consumed him. But the Father God brought him back home. He found where his place was, the younger brother did. It can't be overlooked that the father looked at the older brother and loved him just as much. There was no swaying, there was no favoritism in this story. God, in, God shows us a lot of times how he loves us unconditionally, but we are so stubborn in our own hearts, even me, like I said just now, that we look beyond that God can be a, a father that can be trusted. You see, the father invited the old son to come in and to partake in this. It says, look, these many, his father says to him, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's the, young, that's the older brother's response, but it's so beautiful what the father did before that. The father knew his son was battling and struggling with just trusting him. So he came out, and it says that he came out and he entreated him. He entreated him. Entreating is urgently and trying to tell his son, come, be a part of this. I'm begging you, I'm asking you to partake in this, to, to see that this is a beautiful thing, that your younger brother has returned home. Please look past the, the parts of you serving me all these years. Look past the, the parts of you being obedient because inside you're showing that you're far from just loving me and trusting me, that you only wanted the things from me to gain It's so beautiful, the Father's response to both these sons. We see a beautiful depiction of the gospel in the Father's response to both of these sons. And that depiction of that gospel is He's showing grace. He's showing mercy. He's showing love. He's showing unconditional love by showing grace and mercy and most of all, forgiveness. Think about this. The younger son, the younger brother returned home and He treated him with giving him the best robe. Put a ring on his finger to show a resemblance of seal put shoes on him, clothed him, brought him in, celebrated, sacrificed 
the best of the best of his calves, had a, a celebration with food, a party. He comes out to see the older brother, the older son, begging and asking him to be a partaker in this, this, this beautiful thing, this beautiful celebration of his younger brother returning home, of coming to trust in his father. The father resembling unconditional love by saying, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for you. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Those two responses from the father show us a beautiful depiction of the gospel. And you may be asking yourself, well, what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that God the Father in heaven gave his only son named Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven a perfect place to come down to be a part of this world, to be a part of the afflictions, the pain, the suffering, the brokenness, all that we experience, to take the price that we deserve for our sin, for our disobedience, and put it upon himself on the cross to die for us. But the power of death was not there. The sting of death was not there. He would resurrect three days later, and that resurrection three days later allowed us to be dead on that cross through our sins by Jesus paying for us, but us having eternal salvation, to be able to eternally spend forever with God, our true Father in heaven. You see, that is a God, that God, the one true God, the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, shows us that He is a God that's a Father we can trust. Today, I want you to ask yourselves what maybe it is that is in your life, the thing that you have in your life that you're holding on to, that you're trusting more than looking at God and trusting God as the Father you can trust. You see, I've done so much self-reflection in the last week in, in looking at this. Preparing this message gave me great conviction in different areas of my life. Being the older brother. But what's beautiful is we have Jesus who shows us that He is enough. That God gave us Jesus and Jesus is enough. You see, we're not owed anything. But God loved us so much the Father loved us so much unconditionally that He gave grace and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus on the cross, dying and resurrecting three days later and giving us eternal life with the Father. It's so beautiful. Bow your heads with me. Lord, Father, Lord God in heaven, I pray today that as those who have heard this message, those who have heard this, that your Spirit bring something inside of them that's rattling them, not in a bad way, but Lord, that's showing them you're speaking to them. They can hear you, Lord. I pray that they receive you today, Lord God. I pray that those who are struggling as those who are within following Christ already, Lord, those who are battling, Lord God, that they just trust, that they move away from this moralistic duty mindset, Lord God, that they trust you and that all they can be filled with is your spirit and that all they can do is just love you and trust you for who you are, Father, and that's all they need, Lord, because you gave us Christ. And Lord, I pray that if those who are listening today that feel like they're the younger brother, the younger son, the younger brother who may feel far from you, Lord God, because they've trusted this world too far and long and not trusted you, Lord God, I pray that you, you bring them home, Lord that they reach out to someone on an ID, Lord, 
through through messenger, through any kind of form of messaging, through anybody that they know that's a part of this family here at this church, Lord God. We want them to come home, to experience a home here, Lord God, to trust you and to see you as a God who's a father they can trust. Lord, you're so beautiful in so many ways. We praise you for being the true God of everything and to giving us your son, who is king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who gives us life, who brought us from death, who called us found when we were lost, Lord, who were far from you. I pray this and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening this week. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and upcoming events, check out our website at idclifton.com. Again, thank you for listening to the ID Clifton podcast. And remember, love God and love others. See you next week.